Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're going to be talking about Charles X of France. Now, I feel we've been talking a lot about a French kings lately, but I feel given that we've talked about Alexander Tocqueville and Louis Philippe, we've, and given the fact that we're really in this time period and we've really had a relatively in-depth and broad discussion about the time period, its politics, and what's going on, I feel that it would be a disservice in order not to address the two French kings who came during the time of Tocqueville and before Louis-Philippe, that being Char- Louis Seventeenth of France and Charles X of France. Today, we're going to start with Charles X of France before going to Louis Seventeenth, only because Charles X is a lot more prevalent to Louis-Philippe. So if you remember anything from last episode, there's a couple of things from last episode that are going to come up here that you'll have better context for, all things considered. So let's get right into it. So Charles Philippe, Charles X, was born at Versailles on October 9, 1757, as the youngest son of the Dauphin Louis and his wife, the Dauphine Marie Joseph. Note that the Dauphin simply is a royal title simply designating the heir of France. So in this case, Dauphin Louis, his father, was the heir to France after the then king. Charles was cre- created at birth the Count of Artois by his grandfather, the reigning King Louis XV. And as the youngest male in his family, as it seems to be with almost everyone on this show that we talk about for some reason, Charles was the youngest male and seemingly unlikely to ever become king. His eldest brother, though, Louis, the Duke of Burgundy, died unexpectedly in 1761, moving up him up one place in the line of succession, but still behind his elder brother, who would eventually become Louis Seventeenth. He was raised in early childhood by Madame de Marson, the governess of children of France. The governess of children of France is yet again another title, well, a royal office, actually, within the French court who was responsible for the upbringings of the royal children and along with all those children who were at the court of Versailles. At the death of his father in 1765, four years after his brother's death, Charles's oldest surviving brother, Louis Auguste, became the new Dauphin. Their mother, Marie Joseph, who never recovered from the loss of her husband, would die later in March 1767 from tuberculosis, leaving Charles an orphan at the age of nine, along with his siblings Louis-Auguste, Louis-Stanislas, the Count of Provence, Clotilde, and Elizabeth. Louis XV, the then King of France, would fall ill on the 27th of April, 1774, and died of smallpox on May 10th, upon which his grandson, Louis-Auguste, succeeded him as King Louis XVI of France. Now, during this time while he was reigning at court, in November 1773, Charles would marry Marie Therese of Savoy. In 1775, Marie Therese gave birth to his son, Louis Antoine, who was created the Duke of Angoulême by Louis XVI. Louis Antoine was the first of the next generation of Bourbons, as the king and the court of province had not fathered any children yet, causing many at the time to lampoon Louis XVI's alleged impotence. Three years later, in 1778, Charles' second, second son, Charles Ferdinand, was born and given the title of Duke of Berry, but in the same year, Queen Marie Antoinette gave birth to her first child, Marie Therese, 
quelling all rumors that she cannot bear children. So essentially, the, the main issue of France succession at the time is that a lot of people within the Bourbon family did not or seemingly were unable to have kids. Hence why Charles X will eventually come to the throne is because his two eldest brothers died without heirs. Now, in regards to Charles' attempts, uh, marriage, and I guess you could say love life, Charles was thought of as the most attractive member of his family, bearing a strong resemblance to his grandfather, Louis XV. But by contemporary standards, his wife was, consi was considered by many quite ugly, and he looked for company in numerous extramarital affairs. According to the Count of Herzequiz, quote, few beauties were cruel to him, end quote. Among his lovers were most notably Anne-Victoria de Vaux, um, later, he embarked on a lifelong love affair with the beautiful Louise de Paula Strong, the sister-in-law of Marie Antoinette's closest companion, the Duchess of Polignac. Charles also, during this time, struck up a firm friendship with Marie Antoinette her herself, whom he had first met upon her arrival in France in, 18 in 1770 of April, when he was the age of 12. The closeness of the relationship was such that he was falsely accused by Parisian rumor mongers of having actually seduced her and having fathered the son that they said you know, was disproved Louis XVI's incompetence. Um, Charles often appeared opposite her in private theater of her favorite royal retreat, the Petit Trion, and they were both said to be very talented amateur actors, where Marie Antoinette played milkmaids, sheep herders, country ladies, whereas Charles played lovers, valets, and farmers. If you may or may not recall anything about the French Revolution, this is mainly referring to the supposed shack or whatnot that Marie Antoinette had built in order to relive the life of the peasant. Now, while this was not directly that, it was very much related to it and was definitely indicative of her... Um, desire and her interest in those sorts of actings. Throughout the 1770s royal court, Charles X also spent lavishly, accumulating enormous debts totaling 21 million livres. In 1780, King Louis XVI had to pay off the debts of both his brothers, the Count of Provence and Count of Artois, who is Charles X. Charles X's involvement in politics would really start in the first crisis of the monarchy in 1786, when it became apparent that the kingdom was becoming bankrupt from previous military endeavors, particularly the Seven Years' War and the American War of Independence, and France needed fiscal reform in order to survive. Charles supported the removal of, er of the er aristocracy's financial privileges, mainly in the form of tax exemptions, but was opposed to any reduction in the social privileges enjoyed by either the Roman Catholic Church or the nobility. He believed that France's finances should be reformed without the monarchy being overthrown. And in his final, and in his own words, it was, quote, time for repair, not demolition. And it was really this line of thinking that put Charles X in a very ultra-royalist sort of camp in the debate between, the growing debate between the French liberals and the French conservatives. King Louis XVI eventually convened the Estates General in response to this crisis, which should not be been convened in over 150 years to meet in 1789 to ratify financial reforms. Along with his sister Elizabeth, Charles was the most conservative member of his family and he opposed the demands of the third estate to increase their voting power. This prompted criticism from his brother who accused him of being, quote, plus royaliste que le roi, end quote, meaning more royalist than the king himself. In June 1789, the representatives of the Third Estate declared themselves, as you may know, the National Assembly, intent on providing France with a new constitution. In conjunction with the Baron de Breton, Charles had political alliances arranged to depose the liberal minister of France, Jacques Necker. These plans backfired when Charles attempted to secure Necker's dismissal on the 11th of July without Breton's knowledge. And this dismissal of Necker at the hand of Charles X was actually one of the reasons for the storming of the Bastille on the 14th of July. And with the concurrence of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, though, Charles and his family would leave France three days later on the 17th of July, along with seven, 
with several other courtiers. His flight was historically attributed to concern uh, over his own personal safety, given that he was an ultra-royalist and one of the most staunch voices of opposition to the growing liberal sentiments. But uh, more recent and more contemporary um, sources find that actually the reason that he left was a means of ensuring that one close relative of Louis XVI would be free to act as a spokesperson for the monarchy. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're talking about Charles X of France. We just got done talking about Charles X's um, early involvement in politics during the onset of the French Revolution and also his early life. And now we're going to jump right into his life in exile. Um, Charles and his family decided to seek refuge in Savoy upon fleeing France, his wife's native country, where they were joined by a number of members of the Condé family, which was another noble family in France. Meanwhile, in Paris, Louis XVI was in prison within uh, Paris and was struggling with the National Assembly, which was committed to radical reforms and had already enacted the Constitution of 1791. In 1791, the Assembly enacted a Regency Bill that provided for the case of the king's premature death. While it was there, Louis Charles was still a minor. The Count of Provence, the Duke of Orleans, or if either was available, someone chosen by election should become regent, which completely bypassed the rights of Charles X, who, in royal lineage, stood between the Count of Provence and the Duke of Orleans, and therefore should have been the regent. But the liberals concerning him was an ultra-conservative who had fled the country completely bypassed him in this line of succession for regency. Charles, meanwhile, during this time, left Turin, which is in Italy, and moved to Trier in Germany, where his uncle Clemens von Schloss of Saxony, the incumbent archbishop elector, um, housed him during his stay there. Charles prepared for a counter-revolutionary invasion of France during his time in Trier, but a letter from Marie Antoinette postponed it until after the royal family escaped from Paris. However, this escape from Paris, as many of you know, failed and was stopped at Vernet's, upon which Charles moved on to Koblenz, where he and the recently escaped Count of Provence and the Princess of Condé jointly declared their intention to, to invade France and liberate the monarchy and restore it. The Count of Provence was set, sent dispatches to various European sovereigns for assistance, while Charles set up a court in exile in the electorate of Trier. On the 25th of August, these uh, overtures to various European countries succeeded with the rulers of the Holy Roman Empire and Prussia issuing the Declaration of Pilnitz, which called on the European powers to intervene in France if Louis XVI was not restored and released from um, his pris- imprisonment. On, 17, in, on New Year's Day in 1792, the National Assembly declared that all immigrants of France, emigrants of France were traitors, repudiated their titles and confiscated their lands, officially leaving Charles X with, with no land holdings and no title. And this measure was followed by the suspension and eventual abol- abolition of the monarchy on the September of 1792, where the royal family was finally imprisoned and the king and queen eventually executed in 1793, where their son, the heir of France, would die of illness and neglect in 1795. When the French Revolutionary Wars finally broke out in 1792, Charles escaped mainland Europe to Great Britain, where King George III gave him a generous allowance. Here, he lived in Edinburgh and London with his mistress, and during this time, he mainly just oversaw the war happening. In January 1814, with Napoleon's disastrous Russian campaign and things finally looking like the coalition would turn around and defeat Napoleon, Charles X covertly left his home in London to join the coalition forces in southern France. Louis XVIII, 
by then who was wheelchair-bound, supplied Charles with letters patent creating him Lieutenant General of the Kingdom of France. On the 31st of March, the Allies captured Paris, and a week later, Napoleon abdicated. The Senate declared the restoration of Louis XVIII as the Bourbon King of France, and Charles arrived on the 12th of April in the capital and acted then as the Regent of the Realm until Louis XVIII arrived from England. During his brief tenure as Regent, Charles created an ultra-royalist secret police that reported directly back to him without Louis XVIII's knowledge, which and this went on for about five years, which really just goes to show how, despite the revolution, despite showing that perhaps there was some need for moderation in order to maintain stability within the kingdom between liberals and conservatives, Charles X still was an ultra-royalist of the core, which would eventually doom him during his reign. Much to the horror of Charles X, Following the occupation of the Allied army and the liberation of France back to the hands of the royalists, Louis XVIII promulgated a liberal constitution, the Charter of 1814, which provided for a bicameral legislature and an electorate of 90,000 men alongside freedom of religion, something that Charles X completely opposed. However, in 1815, during the Hundred Days, the um, Charles X, as long as his elder brother, the King Louis XVIII, would be forced back into exile briefly, only to return then after a hundred days when Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. Upon this, Charles X oversaw, in part, the White Terror, which focused mainly on the purging of, of the civilian administration, which had almost completely turned against the Bourbon monarchy. Almost 70,000 officials were dismissed from their positions, and the remnants of Napoleon... Napoleonic army were disbanded after the Battle of Waterloo, and its senior officers were cashiered. Marshal Ney was executed for treason, and Marshal Brune was ultimately murdered by a crowd. Approximately 6,000 individuals who had rallied to Napoleon were brought to trial during this time, and there were about 300 mob lynchings in the south of France, notably in Marseille, where a number of Napoleon's Mamluks prepared to return to Egypt, and they were massacred in their barracks. So you really see as well Charles X once again overseeing this execution and this... um terror, as they call it, over these very liberal um, individuals, showing once again his lack of willingness to some extent for compromise and his ultra-royalist views. While the king retained a liberal charter during his reign, that being Louis XVIII, Charles patronized members of the ultra-royalists in Parliament, such as Jules de Polignac, the writer François-Rain de Chateaubriand, and Jean-Baptiste de Villiers. On several occasions, Charles voiced his disapproval of his brother's liberal ministers and threatened to leave the country unless Louis XVIII dismissed them. Louis, in turn, feared that his brother and heir presumptive royalist tendencies would actually send the family into exile once more if they upset the people. On the 14th of February, 1820, Charles's younger son, the Duke of Berry, was assassinated at the Paris Opera. This loss not only plunged the family into grief, but also the, the succession of France in the jeopardy. As Charles's elder son, the Duke of Angoulême, was childless, the lack of male heirs in the Bourbon main line, which I mentioned earlier was quite problematic, raised the prospect of the throne passing to the more liberal Duke of Orleans and his heirs, which horrified the more conservative ultra-royalists. Parliament at this time, as a result, debated the abolition of Salic law, the law which excluded females from the line of succession. However, the Duke of Berry's widow, the Caroline of Naples in Sicily, was found to be pregnant on the 29th of September, 1820, gave birth to a son, Henry, who had become the Duke of Bordeaux. His birth was held as, quote, God-given, and the people supposedly purchased him the Chateau de Chambord in celebration of his birth, hence why he would eventually come to be known as Henry, the Count of Chambord. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where this week we're talking about Charles X. 
We just got done talking about Charles X's time during the immediate aftermath of the Bourbon Restoration. And now we're going to get right into his reign. Now, so Charles X's time on the sidelines, I guess you could say, um, in politics would not last forever. And Charles's brother, the then King Louis XVIII's health, had been worsening since the beginning of 1824, suffering from both the dry and wet gangrene in his legs and spine. He died on the 16th of September that year, at the age of almost 69. Charles, now 67, succeeded him as the king as King Charles X of France. In his first act as king, Charles attempted to unify the House of Bourbon by granting the style of royal highness to his cousins of the House of Orleans who were, as I mentioned in the Louis Philippe episode, the cadet house, and thus the successors to France should the Bourbon line ever die out. And he restored to them the title of Royal Highness, as they were deprived of this by Louis XVIII because of the former Duke of Orleans' role in the death of Louis XVI. Recall that um, the father voted to kill Louis XVI. While his brother had been sober enough to realize that France would never accept an attempt to resurrect the ancient regime, hence why King Louis XVIII was so moderate in his reforms, Charles X had never been willing to accept the changes of the past four decades. He gave his prime minister, the ultra-royalist Jean-Baptiste de Villiers, lists of laws that he wanted ratified every time he opened Parliament. In April of 1825, the government approved legislation proposed by Louis XVIII, but implemented only after his death, that paid an indemnity to nobles whose estates had been confiscated during the Revolution. This law gave government bonds to those who had lost their lands in exchange for the renunciation of their ownership, This, which cost the state about 988 million francs. In the same month, the Anti-Sacrilege Act was passed, and Charles's government attempted to reestablish male-only primogeniture for families paying over 300 francs in tax, but the measure was eventually voted down in the Chamber of Deputies. So you see, immediately upon his uh, ascension to his reign, Charles X attempting to repay the nobles for what they lost, and attempting to revert things back to what they were under the old regime. On the 29th of May, 1825, Charles was eventually anointed king at the Cathedral in Reims, the traditional site of consecration of the French kings. It had been unused, actually, since 1775, as Louis XVIII had forgone the ceremony in order to avoid controversy. Essentially, King Louis XVIII wanted to avoid the image of painting himself as an old regime king, but unlike Louis XVIII, Charles X really didn't care, and he wanted to be an old regime king, hence why he had the coronation there. Charles, Charles reverted to Notre Dame as well, to the original place of coronation used by the kings of France from the early ages of the monarchy. That Charles was not a popular ruler became quite apparent in April 1827, when chaos ensued during the King's Review of the National Guard in Paris. In retaliation, the National Guard was disbanded, but as its members were not disarmed, it remained a potential threat to his reign. After losing his parliamentary majority in a general election in 1827, Charles dismissed his ultra-royalist prime minister and appointed Jean-Baptiste de Martignac, a man the king disliked and thought of only as being a provisional prime minister. On the 5th of August, 1829, Charles would dismiss Montignac and appoint Jules de Polignac, another ultra-royalist, who, however, lost his majority in parliament once again at the end of August, when the Chateaubriand faction defected. To stay in power, Polignac would not recall the chambers in, until March 1830. It was under the reign of Charles X that we also first saw the French conquest of Algeria start to take place. On the 31st of July 1830, 
Prime Minister Polignac, with the approval of Charles X, decided to send the military expedition to Algeria to put an end to the threat of the Algerian pirates posed to the, Medi- the threat they posed to Al- Mediterranean trade, and also to increase the government's popularity with the military victory. The reason given for the war was that the Viceroy of Algeria, angry about France's failure to pay debts stemming from Napoleon's invasion of Egypt, had struck the French consul with the handle of his fly swat. And this, keep in mind, was the justification for the invasion of Algeria and the eventual death of 600,000 civilians. French troops occupied Algiers upon landing then on the 5th of July, and from there the conflict only continued to escalate to the point where thousands of, hundreds of thousands of French soldiers were involved in the conquest and hundreds of thousands of civilians and military personnel died. When the chambers convened on the 2nd of March, 1830, as Charles had planned, Charles's opening speech was greeted by largely negative reactions from many of the deputies. Some deputies introduced a bill requiring the king's minister to obtain the support of the chambers in order to prevent another issue of the king simply not calling the chambers at all in order to maintain power. In March, 221 deputies, a majority of 30, voted in favor of this bill. However, the king had already decided to hold a general election, and the chamber was suspended on the 19th of March in order to bypass this. Elections were held on the 23rd of June, but not produce a majority favorable to the government. On the 6th of July, the king and his ministers decided to suspend the constitution and declaring an emergency. And on the 25th of July, the royal residence in St. Cloud issued four ordinances that censored the press, dissolved the newly elected chamber, altered the electoral system, and called for new elections in in September. These ultra-conservative ordinances pretty much led to the July Revolution as people rose up in opposition against Charles X. And as revolution became more and more prominent, on the 2nd of August, he abdicated, bypassing his son in favor of his grandson, Henry the Duke of Bordeaux who was not yet 10. His son, originally the Duke of Angoulême, refused to countersign the document renouncing his rights to the throne of France, but eventually he did. And he gave the, the document abdicating in favor of his grandson to, as we mentioned last episode, Louis-Philippe, who would instead ignore the document and on the 9th of August have himself crowned king. From here, he would move on into exile, back into the into Britain with his creditors, who had lent him vast sums during his first years in exile and were not yet paid back in full. They were allowed to reside in the Lulworth Castle in Dorset, but quickly moved to Holyrood Palace in Edinburgh. From here, Charles and his family would travel across Europe, and however, at his arrival at Gors in the Kingdom of Illyria, being part of Austria, he caught cholera and died on the 6th of November, 1836. The reign of Charles X was really one of a ultra-conservative. He, unlike his brother, attempted to go back to the old regime, and it was his attempts to go back to the old regime which actually resulted in the July Revolution and and the crowning of Louis Philippe and the real essentially the overthrow of the old regime for good. Thank you for joining me this week for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we discuss another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.